Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Now, I am very glad to be back at Antioch. I've been here a number of times over the years from the early days and through Pete's coming and a lot of stuff's here and I, I love what's happening at Antioch and, and Bend and uh, friends over here. And I'm just, you know, when I look at the heritage of more than four decades of teaching at Western Seminary and pastoring here, pastors here in the, in the Northwest, you know, guys like Peter, you know, that, that's, that's my resume is guys like that, that I've had a shaping influence on. They've taken stuff I've given, done way, way better, and I just rejoice in that. We're gonna spend some time looking at some passages here, and you just heard the reading from Micah. And when I think of Micah, I mean, we think of, because quoted in the New Testament, that Bethlehem Ephrata, from you, the least of the clans of Judah, will come a savior. And we think of that, but putting Micah in context, This is the time when the Assyrians are coming to wipe out Israel. They would wipe out Jerusalem except for the incredible faith of Jeremiah, of Hezekiah. You can read it in the book of Ezekiel, or of Isaiah. It's a horrible time. It's a horrible time. And they're calling on a once and future king use that phrase, a hope that goes far into the past, calling in the present. One of the people that I read pretty regularly is David French. He's a Christian pundit, and you can get his free French press on Sundays. I, I subscribe and get more of his stuff, but in his column this morning, he lives in Kentucky, and of course, we all know what happened in Kentucky here just recently. The tornadoes came through and just blew the place up. And he lives right there. His wife's hometown was ground zero for one of those tornadoes. And he was there volunteering, helping out, and pondering what hope looks like in hard times. When I think of hope, Catherine Kuhn is a long, long, long time friend of mine, works in Africa, Hope Alive Africa. Her definition of hope is the active, confident expectation of good based on the character and presence of God. Hope is the active, confident expectation of good based on the character and presence of God. David French defined it as uh, you're located in a larger story that has a past that fills us with longing, a future that pays off that longing and a present that engages our energies. And when I think of what's happening right now in our world, our world is just absolutely filled with despair and cynicism and conflict and cancellation and just all kinds of awful stuff. And what we speak here as Christians, and you people here at Antioch, my home church, Grace Community over in Gresham, is we speak to hope. We speak to hope of a once and future king. And that hope goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when the conflict happens there in the garden and 
God speaks to the serpent that there's going to come an offspring who will crush your head. At the same time, the serpent is going to crush his heel. Speaking to the triumph of Messiah over the serpent, but also the fact that the serpent is going to kill the Messiah. And that's that conflict that comes through. And it's going to happen in a little town, Bethlehem. Now, I was trying to think what would be the present thing of Bethlehem, because Bethlehem means house of bread, Ephrata means fruitful place. And I'm thinking, where would that be? Would that be Bend? I don't think so. Bend is a little too prominent. What would be the present day equivalent of Bethlehem? About seven miles south of Jerusalem, up in the hill country, what would it be? I need some suggestions. Lapine? Lapine? Uh, that's actually pretty close. How many have been to Lapine? Okay, a lot of you haven't been. That says a lot. <laughs> yeah, Lapine's a beautiful little town. It's a fruitful place, but you don't expect great stuff to come out of Lapine. Uh, and that's the way Bethlehem was. But when I think of the memories of Bethlehem, just thinking through scripturally, you know, I look back to Genesis and Jacob and his favorite wife, Rachel, were journeying together, Genesis. And uh, is that up on the screen? There it is. Genesis 35, 16, 17. It says, together they moved on from Bethel. While there was still some difference from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. No, no maternity wards in those days. She was having great difficulty in childbirth. And the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. And as she breathed her last, this is the favorite wife of one of the patriarchs of Israel. She named herself Ben-Oni, son of my suffering. But his father named him Benjamin son of my right hand, because she didn't want this boy to be known for suffering. Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over tomb was set a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. So when you think of Bethlehem, you think of the death of a beautiful wife, you think of a birth of a youngest son, one of the 12 patriarchs and a tomb that speaks of a beautiful place of sadness. That's Bethlehem that Micah's talking about. If you go forward a little ways, again, this little journey, we've got a little story in Judges we don't even look at because a Levite and his concubine getting a thing, and she gets raped and killed, and he cuts her into 12 pieces, and we don't even look at that story. That's a, Judges 19 and 20. It's a horrible time. That's Bethlehem. Ruth, chapter 1. Incredible story. In the days when the judges ruled, no, good time or bad time? That's like today. Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes. The judges rule. It's full of corruption. It's full of injustice. In those days, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they went to live in Moab. 
Now, that's like a guy who's had a tough time in his house and he goes to live in a strip club with his kids. Good idea or bad idea? <laughs> Seriously bad idea. I mean, this is the place of cursing. And he goes there. Now, leaving in a famine, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but Moab, for crying out loud? Man's name is Elamanic. His wife's name is Naomi. The names are two sons, Malon and Kilion. Sick and dying are the names of the sons. They're Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. So Bethlehem, beautiful place, Rachel's tomb, suffering. They went to Moab and lived there. Okay, now going's okay, but living there? Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she's left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, Oprah, Oprah and Ruth. After they lived about 10 years, 10 years in a strip club? Melon Kilion died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. She's abandoned, she's alone. So what did she do? Naomi heard that Moab, the Lord, had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters were prepared to return home from there. They're in the strip club. They're in the place of cursing. Why? Because the men in her life forced her to stay there. When the men in her life who were evil died, her heart went to the place of blessing. The beautiful town of Bethlehem. And Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite and her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now that's a sign of hope. Place of suffering, beautiful town, death of a beautiful woman, birth of Benjamin. It's a place to return to because that's the place of hope. And we continue to think about how this works out. First Samuel 16. We've got the story of Samuel. We've got the story of Saul. Saul, who was anointed of God, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, but begins his crash and burn thing. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, How long you mourn for Saul? I've rejected him. Fill your horn with oil and go on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. There it is again. Now, that's Lapine. What good things come out of Lapine? Nice people, but I mean, it's like Nowheresville. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Like, really? I thought you were supposed to go to Jerusalem or Bethel or something like that. Samuel did what the Lord has said. He arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of town trembled and met him. Do you come in peace? Because he's an important guy coming to town. And when important guys come to town, you tremble because you don't know what they're going to do. Sam replied, yeah, I'm in peace. I've come to sacrifice the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Then he said, Jesse, after he looked at seven sons, are these all the sons you've got? Now, you're Jesse. The guy wants to see your kids, and you parade your kids in front of him, and everyone, he says, nah, nah, nah. And finally he says, got any more kids? What are you saying when your name is Jesse. I've given you seven fine sons. What do you want for crying out loud? They're still the youngest. The runt. He's tending the sheep. Now what's the status of shepherds? Bottom of the list. They're the ones who clean sewers out. Samuel said, Sinner will not sit down till he arrives. Then he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. 
The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Bethlehem, Rachel, beautiful wife, suffering, death, hope of a youngest son, the place to return to for the place of blessing, a place where one is anointed to be king. And of course, we know that David was the man after God's own heart. And other than one disastrous episode, was a man faithful to God and led Israel well. And that's the peace that comes. And the promise to him that comes in 2 Samuel 7 is, I will raise up your offspring after you who come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That promise of David, a son of David, will be the Messianic king. And then there's Micah. The Assyrians are coming. It's like Nazis invading Poland. And the once and future king is promised again. You know, I think about this, and I think about our current situation here with all the political stuff going on and all the conflict and all the fights and all the ineffectiveness of so much of the government because just a lockstep over the fights and corruption and conflicts and, and the hope of a messiah. A young man named Barack Obama. Do you remember what his tagline was during his campaign? Do you remember what his hope was? Dare to hope. Dare to hope. He gave a messianic vision. Dare to hope. And he was elected, but he did not fulfill the promise. Another man came along, and he said, make America great again. Clean out the swamp. Swamp's not cleaned out. See, the Messianic hope continues to be there, and that hope is a deep hope. President Biden was elected, never had a tagline exactly, but basically, let's get together. And boy, has that happened. And see, we keep thinking, okay, if we can just get the right president, if we can just get the right governor, if we can just get the right Supreme Court, if we can just get the right... But see, the hope is not there. The hope is not in governors. The hope is not in politics. Where's the hope? The once and future king, Messiah, the one who from early on is promised to be God with us, Emmanuel. But he's going to come in a time of horrible time. I think of my own case, for example, here about three months ago, I had blood in my urine. Good idea or bad idea? <laughs> Not so good. Now, I'm a guy, I'm a guy, so I ignored it for about three months. <laughs> I, 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 confession. But it kept coming from time to time, and finally, I, okay, I better tell the doctor. The doctor went through a whole bunch of stuff, gave me a CAT scan. I, uh, CAT scans are weird. You lay at a table and, and uh, 
like nothing happens. They show you pictures. And I was teaching my class in Boise, and I just called a break. And as I was getting up from the table with 12 pastors sitting in the room there, and Steve Walker, my co-teacher, my phone buzzed. And I looked down at the phone, and it said Kaiser Permanente. Oh, wow. So I picked up and listened to it. And in seven minutes there, my personal doctor, my primary care guy, Dr. Walksmith, said, Gary, the CAT scan has shown us that you have bladder cancer. I never even thought about bladder cancer. I thought maybe kidney. Oh, bladder cancer. I have no idea what that means. And then I thought back to a friend of mine, Ken Garrett, who just came with the nickel of dying of bladder cancer. And kind of my blood ran cold. And he said, but I've got worse news for you. Worse news than bladder cancer? Okay. Remember, there are 12 pastors walking around. They're having some good time. I'm standing here talking to Walksmith, Dr. Walksmith. And he says, Gary, there's also some nod, a number of nodules in your lungs. Now, six years earlier, I'd had melanoma here. It spread to my downstream lymph node trace, surgically dealt with. But that's stage three melanoma and melanoma, very aggressive stuff. And we said nodules in my lungs. We both knew that's almost certainly melanoma. And melanoma, multiple nodules in my lungs is not good news at all. And he said, we'll do some other tests. I had seven more minutes in the break, wandered around, chatted just a bit, sat back down, and we spent the next two hours talking about Galatians, because that's what you do in class. And I've got a compartment in my brain that's processing two types of cancers at the same time. Aye. I went home with Steve, and Steve and Barbara, very close friends. I stay with them in the guest room there, and we had supper together. I didn't say anything to them because I didn't know what to say yet. What does hope look like when you've got two different types of cancers and COVID's going on and all the stuff related to that? I finished up and I went back into the guest room where I stay and uh, I sat there for a while and praying and pondering and laid down and went to sleep. I have the gift of sleep. It's a wonderful thing. And one of the things I find is that when I pray as I'm going to sleep, which I do pretty much all the time, pray with Sherry if she's around. She wasn't, of course. Is I find in the middle of the night, I do some incredible praying as I sleep. I don't know how that works, but when I wake up to go to the bathroom, I find that my, I, I realize that I've been praying and that prayer continues. And I got up in the morning and somewhere in the night there, God spoke to me as he does from time to time, just like he did to Micah and to the people in the day of Bethlehem. And the, the words that formed over the next few hours were, this is not the end, keep on with what you're doing. Now I immediately, immediately, God had sent me the text, this is not the end, keep on with what you're doing. I immediately replied to the text, please specify the referent of this. <laughs> what is this is not the end, because that's way too ambiguous. To date, that's more than three months ago, God has not replied to my text. 
and a life of faith. But I think about the people of Israel under Roman domination and the promise of Jesus. And four principles that came out of that time from Matthew 6, but also the time of Micah when Assyrians are coming, the time of Jesus' birth when the Romans are oppressing, and it's so horrible. First lesson is when you go to the past, look for lessons, not regrets. When you go to the past, look for lessons, not regrets. So this little mole that was on my forehead, been there a long time. And uh, when I look back, because the doctor took it out, did her test on it, and discovered it's past a certain metric, if I would have been a little more proactive and gone to the doctor and said, hey doc, have a look at this a little more proactively, maybe they would have caught it before it passed that certain metric and I would have never been in stage three melanoma. I can very easily go back to the past and absolutely shred myself. You idiot! I can be very effective at that. Probably some of you know what I'm talking about. But see, God's lesson is when you go to the past, do lessons, not regrets, not shred yourself. And the lesson is, go to the doctor. Now, as you've already heard, I'm not fully on board with that yet. Blood in, the can, blood in my urine took a while. In the present, second lesson, is take what you actually know and build plans for the future. You don't play the helpless victim. You don't, you're not the victim of fate. Because the Holy Spirit is with you to help you do stuff. And that's the same thing with the people of Israel. Go to the future, look into the future with plans in place to do what you can to be a responsible agent of the presence of God. Go to the past for lessons, not regrets. In the present, take what you actually know and make contingent plans for the future. The third lesson is into the future. That's where the what ifs are. Well, what if? and then you read in some horrible thing, that's where Satan dwells. That's where Jesus don't live in anxiety, don't live in the what ifs, don't dwell in the what ifs. Because what happens when you dwell in the what ifs, well, I've got nodules in my lungs. Now as it turns out, I've got two nodules on my brain, and I've got at least one on my liver. Because where melanoma goes, the bladder cancer has been taken out surgically. But see the what ifs, what if. And when you live there, then everything bad happens. And the Satan, the demons say, prove to me that's not the case. Well, you can't because you're living in what if land. And so the future is go to, don't live in the what ifs. Reject that in Jesus' name because you never ever take goodness into the future. Hope does not live in the what ifs. The fourth lesson is coming back to the present. And in the present, that's where Jesus is present. But he's easy to miss. Because we're not living the day of the future king, we're living the day of the present king. 
And he's very easy to miss because he's working behind the scenes and the demons scream loud in the presence. The political conflict screams loud in the presence. Jesus speaks in a still quiet voice, but he's there. And like Moses who sees the burning bush, he wanders and turns aside, I must see this wondrous thing. And see in the present, we look for the presence of Jesus and we go there. And just like Micah, in his day, the Assyrians are coming. I will live in the hope of the presence of God, the active, confident expectation of the presence of God. And I will choose to live there. Oh yeah, it's bad stuff's everywhere. And it can be absolutely horrible. Now my cancer prognosis, because it's melanoma, six years ago there was no treatment for melanoma. I just would have died, probably. Now there's immunotherapy that they use, I'm now learning terms I didn't know before, Obdivo and Yervoy and all those kinds of things, turns on the immune system and teaches the immune system to hate the cancer. I've had my first infusion, I'll have my second next Thursday. The two nodules in my brain have been zapped, double brain zap last week. If you go to my website, brochures.net, you can see a picture of the green mask. It was personally fitted to hold my head absolutely still for 40 minutes while they zapped my brain, or the melanoma in my brain, we hope. People want me now to be a superhero because I've got the mask. (laughs) (laughs) But see, I could live in terror of dying of melanoma and leaving my pretty wife behind and not being around for my granddaughter's graduation from Oregon State or my perhaps her wedding because she's got a boyfriend and all kinds of different things. I could live in the what ifs and live in despair and cynicism and hopelessness. But it's because I believe in the presence and the power of the once and coming king. He's present and powerful and calls us to a transforming vision. Out of Bethlehem of Ephrata, Nowheresville, comes a king who is of a tribe nobody ever heard of. God uses the insignificant to do huge and powerful work in the present. And that's our Christmas hope. But we have to choose hope against the world, the flesh, the devil, all of which are calling us to despair. And it's easy to go there. But the faith that believes that God is present, but also believes that God is the coming king, because the time of peace is not here. Satan is not defeated. The decisive battle has been won at the cross, but the war is on big time. And he's bringing despair. He's bringing defeat. There's a whole new level of demonic worship going on in our world. But in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, I can choose my attention to focus on all the political nonsense, all the cries for my presence, all the cries for my energies, or I can do what the call of Christmas is. I can look to a place called Bethlehem. I can look to a savior who the world largely despises and say, this is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the once and coming king who is now present among us. And I can choose joy 
and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Antioch Church, we're here to take that hope to the world. And it's going to be done in small acts of kindness and coming alongside people who perhaps have cancer, perhaps have COVID, perhaps their lungs have been ruined by COVID, perhaps family breakups, perhaps, I mean, all kinds of stuff that's going on. And we can bring that present power even to Boston, perhaps. <laughs> even to Boston. And see, that's the hope I want to give you today as we think about this Bethlehem promise. The once and coming king is a true king who is present and powerful. And we can use his power to bring hope and healing and forgiveness and rebuilding to a broken world. And that's the charge I give you, Antioch Church, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.